0: I am. Um, I, how many of you have good memories? You've got like, don't you hate being married to somebody who has a good memory? Because you're like, I don't remember that. Or, you know, remember you ever tell your parents, remember when you did this? And your parents are like, I don't remember we're doing that. I remember. Um, how many remember, um, if you can remember 1995, 25 years ago? And remember 25 years ago? I was 29 years old. Those were a lot of years ago, but the reason why 1995 is so paramount, why I want to talk about it, it's the last time the Buffalo Bills won their division, so I just, it's been so long. No, I'm just, I'm a little happy. I, you know, I know we don't, we got some Buffalo Bills fans here, but just, can I just, can I just be happy just today, okay? So we're glad. Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> I've been penning that up all season because I just wanted to wait, just wanted to wait. So I'm happy today. Um, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm Pastor Barn, the lead pastor here, and we're so glad that you've come to worship with us today. If you're online, thank you for joining us online. And we've been going through a series of looking at Jesus and the Psalms and connecting uh, the Messiahship of Jesus through prophecy. And we've been intertwining that with the Christmas message. Last week we looked at the lordship of Jesus that at his birth he was Lord and today I want to look at the kingship of Jesus. Why the title of king is so imperative for us to understand and listen I know with Christmas there, there we can kind of intertwine our traditions um, with what we what, what we practice maybe as a church or, or what we practice with our belief in Christ Jesus. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if we think about Christmas, we do have a lot of traditions that we have um, within our families. Like some of you, how many of you have a tradition where you open up all your Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve? Anybody does that? Okay, like two of you. Okay, so my wife, they would open up most of their gifts on Christmas Eve and then, as our family, we would do it the correct way where we'd open it up on, <laughs> on Christmas morning, okay? And, um, and so you have all these traditions that you do with your family, and it can get very sentimental, and that's good. You have great memories. But what I don't want to get lost within some of the, within some of the traditions which are good is actually why we're celebrating Christmas. What is the message of Christmas? Because God coming to earth changes everything. I mean, if we really understand why Jesus came. It changes everything. Because Jesus didn't come just to set up another religion. God came near to actually have a relationship with us so that we could know him personally. And I love this story that we're going to look at today in Matthew about the wise men coming uh, to the baby Jesus and worshiping him. I think we have a lot of misunderstanding uh, about the wise men. And because they're kind of mysterious guys, but we can learn a lot from the wise men and about the kingship of Jesus, that they actually came to worship a king. And I want to juxtapose the wise men and what they did and what their hearts were like compared to the people who lived during that time, the kings who lived during that time. And and I want to show you today that it's very reflective of how our society is today. And how our society today may approach the message of Jesus, and what i 'm praying for today, what i 'm hoping for today, is that the kingship of Jesus and who he is would reveal something to your heart, and that you would bow before the kingship of Jesus as the wise men did so many years ago. so I want to look at that now let's I want to, I want to talk about um, just how important Jesus coming to earth in and, and just the meager conditions that jesus uh, came into and and let me just say this right off the bat: Jesus came to us in the most meager conditions in order to relate to us. I mean, that's really one of the things I love about the Christmas message is that you know when the shepherds came, they found Jesus in a manger, and everything about Jesus coming to earth is is so it shows so much humility and how God desires so much to relate to us, and we're going to see this even within the wise men, how they humbled themselves before the kingship of Jesus. And so I want to look at that today. So I, I think the reason why we may have some confusion about uh, the wise men is uh, because of our manger scenes. How many of you have a manger scene? You love the manger scenes. So we have our manger scenes, right? So we've got, you know, we've got Mary and Joseph, and we've got, um, you know, we've got the cows that are lowing, I have no idea what that means, but they're lowing. They're there. We've got the camels. We've got the shepherd. The little drummer boy is there. You know, Rudolph is in. No, no, that's the wrong story. Um, and, then, and then you've got these three other guys in the background, and they're bearing gifts, and they're huge. They're like nine feet tall. So you've got these, these guys in the background. Like who, who are these magi or these, the, these wise men? I think, the, you know, when we look at our major scene, well, we see three guys, and why, why do we see three wise men? Well, because we see in Scripture that they, that they brought three gifts. So we think that, okay, there must be three wise men because they brought three gifts. But in reality, it was probably a huge caravan that came. And the reason why we know that, the reason why we know that is because when they came in Jerusalem, it caused a great stir. Now, three guys aren't going to probably cause a great stir, but if you've got a caravan from somebody who's coming from a faraway land, that's going to cause a stir. And they did. So we know uh, for, pretty for certain that it was, it was many... Um, Many, many wise men. And another thing we we know probably for certain is that when we have the, the wise men with the shepherd, the wise men most likely came later because the scriptures tell us that Jesus was where? He was in a house. So that could have been weeks, months, or even years later. And so, listen, I'm going to give you a pass if you want to keep your wise men in your manger scenes With your shepherds. Okay, that's okay. We'll let you just but know that they probably came later, okay? Just it's okay. So we'll we'll give you a pass there. But who were these mysterious men? I mean, we know that they came from the east, most likely Persia, modern which is modern day Iran, which could have been nine hundred miles away. And so what we know about the Magi is that they practice astrology. They studied sacred writings, and they pursued higher learning. So that's what we know about these wise men or magi. So I want to look in the book of the Gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about their coming to Jesus and what we can extract from the scriptures here. So I want to look at verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 12 in Matthew chapter 2, and listen to what it says. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. The purpose of the Magi coming were to worship Christ and to give him gifts. And look at verse 10. It said, When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, They entered the house and saw the child with mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened up their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So what do we know about these these wise men? And how did they know about Jesus? How did they know? Now, we know that a star came up, but how do we know like, oh, okay, there's a star in the sky and we're just going to follow it and it's going to lead us to this Messiah that we may worship the King of the Jews. How did they know that? Well, here's how they know. We have an Old Testament prophecy that spoke to this very event. Everybody say, wow. Wow, good, you're with me. Everybody online, say, wow. Okay, you're with me. This is great. Listen to what numbers in the Pentateuch, Old Testament prophecy concerning this Messiah, it says this, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. And so what this prophecy spoke of was a, a coming Messiah that would be a deliverer and would be a king. So what, how did they know this? Well, how did they know this prophecy and how did they know how to interpret it correctly? Well, here's how we know. I'll give you a little history lesson here. In 586 BC, Israel was taken captive By the country of Babylon. This was the very same place where the wise men came from. And one person who was part of that captivity in 586 was the person of Daniel. If you remember Daniel and the lion's den, right? Daniel was taken captive, and Daniel was just a sharp guy. And so what happens is Daniel gets taken captive, and many of the captors would take the wisest and the smartest people and they would incorporate them into their society, into their culture. And so what happened to Daniel is because Daniel was, was skillful in wisdom, he could interpret dreams, he had an incredible aptitude for learning. God gave him favor with his captors, so much so that Daniel rose to become the prime minister and had great influence in that society. And so what Daniel does, as we see in the book of Daniel, is Daniel prophesied about a coming Messiah. And so these wise men knew the Hebrew scripture because of the influence of Daniel and other Jews who were in their captivity. So because they were well-learned men, they studied, they understood, and they understood that soon a Messiah would come. And so when they saw these signs, they left what they were doing and they traveled to worship this king. Now I want you to notice what these wise men did. They came, their purpose was To worship a king. They gave gifts to Jesus as you would a king. And so the prophecy in Numbers says that a king will rise out of Israel. The scepter speaks of a king. This is why the wise men worshiped Jesus as a king, and this is why they bowed down before him. Now, how did the kings of the earth? Now, this is where I want to parallel the two, juxtapose the two. You have these wise men who come from a faraway country. They come to worship him as Savior. They bowed down before him. But then you see this message that we're going to see that is delivered to the kings of that time, specifically King Herod. And it's interesting how these wise men received that message and how King Herod and others received the message of Jesus' kingship. And this is where I want to apply it to our heart's Today, look at Matthew two verses three and four. It says, "King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard the news from the wise men. Now, this makes no sense to me. You would think that Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious of the time, they're waiting. they understand the scriptures for this reason. Herod asked the, the, the religious around him, the scribes around him, to say, do you understand this? Do you understand what these wise men are saying? And here's what Herod, and so Herod gets this word back from the scribes and said, yeah, this, this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They understood the scriptures. But what did they do? Nothing. They stayed there. You would think That if this long-awaited Messiah was coming that's been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, that you would leave what you're doing like the wise men did and you would go to Bethlehem, which is only a couple miles away, not very far away, and you would go and seek this Savior. But what did they do? Nothing. Listen, just track with me here, follow me. Listen, we can hear the message of the Savior during Christmas time, we can allow the festivities and all the good things that surround Christmas to overshadow the message of Christmas that a king has come to deliver us. But the question is, what do we do with it? Do we sit back and just say, oh, that's a nice story and I'll sing some Christmas carols, right? Or do I understand the magnitude of what this means? Well, here these well-religious and well-learned scholars of the Bible did nothing. In fact, this word disturbs me, it bothered King Herod. And we're going to understand why it bothered him. It says, so he was deeply disturbed. And when he heard this, as w- uh, it says, when he was deeply disturbed, when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, there was no joy. They were disturbed by it. So he called a meeting of the priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, Bethlehem. And so what we understand about King Herod is this. King Herod's heart was corrupt. We see in him that he didn't like this news and he was going to try to deceive the, the, the Magi by saying, hey, when you get there, let me know, come back, let me know where he is so I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. Herod, what he would eventually do is kill all the boys two years and younger because he was threatened that this king would take his earthly kingship. He refused worship him now here's here's a reflection of our society today when i first heard the gospel of jesus christ and the kingship of jesus christ and like you have to lay your life down before him i didn't like that when i first heard that you know why because i like leading my life i i like being in control i like doing the things that i was doing And if I had to lay my life down before the kingship and the lordship of Jesus, that means things were going to be taken away because I didn't really understand what Jesus was offering me, what he actually did for me, how he laid his life down as an offering for me. I didn't get that. I just thought Jesus was going to come in as a dictator and just say, I'm going to get you in a headlock, Bard, and I'm going to make you do, and I'm going to suck all the joy out of your life. I didn't understand that at first. So when I first heard the message like Herod, I was disturbed. And listen, listen, the gospel message of the good news of why Jesus came should disturb our spirits in this way. That we recognize that we're sinners lost without a savior. And if that doesn't bother us, then what we're going to be, we're going to be numb just like those in Jerusalem and just like Herod. But for these, for these wise men, what they did was they laid down everything to come and worship him. But listen, when we lay our lives down before the kingship of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ, What we get in return is a new life. We we receive forgiveness of our sins. We receive God's grace and his mercy. And so for me, uh, being a follower of Jesus for, for 39 years, I can't believe that, 39 years, Jesus has never let me down. He's a faithful God and he's a good God. Even with all the difficult things that we face and traverse in our world today, Jesus is faithful and he's a perfect savior. He's not a dictator. We willingly lay our lives down before the lordship of Jesus Christ because we get to. I get to serve Jesus, not because I have to, not because he's forcing me to serve him, but because I recognize what a perfect savior he was because he gave everything for me. He didn't come to take away. In fact, the word of God says he came to serve us, not be served, and give his life as a ransom for you and I. Jesus is perfect. He's such a good, good, perfect Savior. And so here we have the wise men. They come. They worship. And we see in, in Matthew 8, we see the true hearts of, of Herod. See, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him too. And and, and that's not what his motive was. He, he had the male children under two years of age killed in Bethlehem, and that's why Mary and Joseph had to flee. See, the kingship, kingship of Jesus presented a threat to Herod's ego and his throne and the religious leaders at the time. They would not welcome Jesus because he would expose their sinful motives. The religion they practiced was not pure. It was corrupt, and it was self-serving. It looked good on the outside, but inside, Jesus exposed their true hearts and their true motives, that their motives weren't about serving other people or loving other people or loving God. But what Jesus exposed about the religion at the time, he says, you're more in love with your rules than you are God. You're more in love with making people submit to your rules and what you want than really loving God. And when Jesus exposed it, they didn't like that. That's why there's so much persecution from the religious against Jesus. They were not thinking about serving others. They were not leading with humility. They harden their hearts, not allowing themselves to bow before Jesus. But what is different? Here's what I want us to grasp today. What is different about the wise men, these magi, these mysterious men? What is different about them? The wise men understood that you bow before a king. You bow before a king. And what this literally means is to fall down. It literally means it's prostrating oneself or kissing the feet or the hem of the garment of one that's honored. They actually lowered themselves below Jesus and honored him above them. And by presenting them gifts, they say, we honor you and we honor your kingship. Philippians 2.10 and 11 says this, and Paul talks about the kingship of Jesus Christ by saying that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what is what is he saying there? He's saying, listen, we can willingly bow to Jesus now and make him our Savior, but every single person, whether they received Christ as their Savior or not, will have to bow before him and recognize that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So I don't know about you, but I want to be on this side. I want to do it right now, (laughs) if I don't have to, and then meet my demise afterwards. And so what did these wise men understand? Well, this is what they understood. We cannot worship without bowing. So what do I mean by that? We cannot worship without bowing. You just can't patronize Jesus or think, oh, he was just a nice guy. The wise men show us something very important about the kingship of Jesus and how that correlates with worship. Because when you worship something, you're ultimately giving that thing, that place in your life. You're giving worth to that thing. And the, and the wise men understood this. We can't worship without bowing. bowing. So what do I mean? It's not merely a physical bowing, which they did, but it's submitting ourselves to Christ and his rule over our lives. So it's not just come to church and going to a worship service and maybe singing a song for 20 minutes, which is great and we should do that. But what these wise men teach is that there's something more about worship, that we worship Christ through our obedience. This is where we, we understand the kingship of, of Christ is when I can worship God and I can say, Jesus, I'm going to be obedient to you in my life. Not just on a Sunday morning. It's great to come to church and watch online. All that stuff is great. But these wise men sacrificed to travel To meet Jesus and bow before him and worship him. They sacrificed. They gave up something. See, the ultimate act of worship is our obedience. Obedience is worship in action. Dr. David Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah says, if you don't worship, you'll never experience God. So what do I, what do I mean by that? These Wise men experienced the Savior before them because they sought him out. But meanwhile, those in Jerusalem, they knew, ab- oh, this is so good right now, just follow me. They knew about Jesus. They knew about the Messiah, but they were too busy in their own world to stop and travel a couple of miles to seek out the Savior. There, Someone last week just they texted me about the message last week. We talked about the Lordship of uh, of Jesus last week. And this text just encouraged me. And what they said was, Pastor Bard, I heard about the Lordship of Jesus and this person's a new Christian. They've been following Jesus for about just over a year. And what they said to me, is, said, you know, I've got some hangups in my past, some bitterness, unforgiveness. And I I really feel like God's telling me I need to forgive and I need to lay those things down. I, I feel like that is the thing that's keeping me back from growing in Christ. I'm like, one person listened last week. Yes! No, I'm just teasing. So I wrote back and I said, this is what's going on in your life. You're hearing God's voice in your life. And you're growing. And he wrote back and he says, he goes, oh, that's so encouraging. I said, yeah, you just encourage me too. See, that's, that's worship. When God speaks to you about your hang ups and the thing, that doesn't mean that God expects you to be perfect overnight. We're, listen, we're all a work in progress. Amen we're all a work in progress but what it does say is I'm listening to God when God speaks to me about pardon you need to lay this thing down or whatever that the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ that we bow before him and we give him that proper place of authority in our lives listen every single one of us have a savior we all have some functional savior or pseudo savior and how many of us know that we follow something for a little while and it makes us feel good right for a little while And then we chase the next thing, and we chase the next thing. We think this thing. Because we all have functional saviors that we think are going to deliver us. But guess what? They never give to us what they promise. But Jesus does. Jesus does. So you have the wise men and you have the shepherds that walked away from their encounter with Jesus with joy. Because you can't be in the presence of Jesus without him changing your heart. And this is what happens to these men. This is where I don't want you to, for those of you that are maybe seeking or want to know more about Jesus, I just don't want you to stop short and just know about Jesus. But Jesus actually, he came to earth so that you could experience him. But what stops us from experiencing God is just like what Dr. Jeremiah said, is we stop because we don't worship him and we don't actually give our lives to him. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Jesus was Lord at his birth And the wise men came to worship a king. And there's only one king. There's not two. There's not my little throne and Jesus. Listen, those uh, license plates that said God is my co-pilot, wrong. Okay, wrong. God is the pilot. You give complete control. It's not me steering. Okay, God, I'll do a little bit. Good job, God. Okay, I'm going to take over for now, right? No, no, no. Because how many you know we're going to crash the plane after a while? God's a good pilot. He knows what he's doing. It's us relinquishing complete control to him. I like what Charles Spurgeon says here. He says, Worship is the highest elevation of the spirit, yet the lowest prostration of the soul. I love that. He's saying, Worship is the highest elevation of the spirit, but yet it makes us lowly. When we worship him, we come under the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. It humbles us. Worship will humble you. And when you're obedient to Christ and you listen to him and you allow him to speak to your heart, you will find joy that you're looking for. Because we're trying to find in the world it just doesn't work. It may work for a while, but it doesn't work. And so when we worship God, it's an elevation of the spirit because we know that our worship is correct and it's set on the right thing because God is our creator, but then it humbles us and causes us to come under his kingship. So I want us to look at a couple of psalms here that speak about Jesus in closing, about Jesus being the king of king and our response. I love these psalms because we're connecting Jesus to the psalm and how he fills those. Psalms 89.27 says this, I will make him, my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. Psalms 2, verse 7 and 8 and 10 and 12 says, I will proclaim the Lord's uh, decree He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Herod, listen up. You ain't a king. Amen? Listen up. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry. And, and your ways will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. When we fall under the kingship of Jesus, we come under his refuge. We come under his protection. And the warning here is, is a double-fold warning. It's for the rules of the earth, make sure you better recognize your God and you come under his authority. And then it says, for us who take refuge in him, we find a place of safety and security. Um, I love what A.W. Tozer, if you can get your hands on any A.W. Tozer stuff, please read it. He's wonderful, wonderful. His devotions are wonderful. But I love what A.W. Tozer says here about why did Christ come? And let me leave you with these words. He says, why did Christ come? Why was he conceived? Why was he born? Why was he crucified? Why did he rise again? Why is he now at the right hand of the Father? The answer to all these questions is this. In order that he might make worshipers out of rebels. <laughs> that is so good. It's not rebel without a cause. We were all rebels because of our sin. And Jesus came to make us worshipers of him. There is no greater call than to be a worshiper of Christ. Listen, we get to heaven, for those that are following Christ, I'm not going to be a pastor in heaven. And don't say amen some of you, okay? Be nice to me. I'm tender on Sunday. I'm very tender, so be, be nice to me. There's no, our occupation is not what we're going to be doing in heaven. We're worshipers. We're all going to be worshiping Christ and who he is and his glory. This, what we're doing right here, this is just a dress rehearsal for what we're going to be doing throughout eternity, worshiping our Lord and Savior and and just exalting his glory. He says, in order, makes worshipers out of rebels, in order that he might restore us again to the place of worship we knew when we were first created. What Jesus wants to do, coming to earth, he came to restore the brokenness that was lost in the garden And what Jesus does is he restores to us the right place of worship. Listen, I I can explain your troubles right now. Ready? Free of charge. I'm not going to charge anything for counseling. I can explain your troubles today. Your priorities are in the wrong place. Here's the reason why. Because we look to things to satisfy us the hunger and the desires in their hearts. We think if I only had a perfect marriage or if my kids were only perfect or I only had the right job or if I lived in, in the right state, where it never snowed. That might help just a little bit, by the way, but I don't know. Um, we, we look to those things and what we end up doing is we worship those things. We give worth to those things thinking they're going to satisfy us, but they never will. They're there to give us happiness and joy, but God says, don't make those things, listen, All idol worship is very simple. Tim Keller said it's this, very simple. All idol worship is this. It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Right? We can can make our kids ultimate things. We can make our marriage the ultimate thing. We can make all those things, and we begin to worship those. But guess what? They're all going to let you down at one time or another. Can I get an amen? (laughs) They're all going to let you down. But when you get your worship right, and you get your priorities straight, straight by going back to God and allowing the God who created us to restore the brokenness that's in your heart and you begin to worship him and you begin to worship him as king and let your life come under the obedience of Christ, he straightens out your priorities because now you begin to look at those other things as good things, but they're not ultimate things. Those things aren't going to bring me the satisfaction that only you can bring me Jesus. So God is constantly redirecting my heart burden you know, I get so excited about these things and whatever and, or I get worried or anxious about these things and it's like God is reminding me, Barden, I'm still on the throne. I'm still on the throne. It doesn't matter. All these things that are going on around us, I'm still on the throne. And so that's going back to worshiping God and allowing God to restore our hearts, to restore our priorities. Just let the Lord speak to your heart and let him straighten out your priorities. Amen? The wise men were wise for this reason. They worshiped Jesus as king, and they bowed before him. And that's my prayer for you today. Maybe there's some turmoil in your life. Maybe you're struggling with things in your life, and you're saying, yeah, I know God is speaking to me in these areas, but but I'm, I'm struggling to come face-to-face with Jesus and let him deal with those things. Do it because what you'll walk away with is with a new life, new priorities, and God gives you a joy. That doesn't mean our life's going to be perfect, but God changes your priority, and that's what you've been looking for. The very thing you've been looking for is Jesus. And 39 years ago at age 16, that's who I found. He's been perfect in every way. Don't stay... Jerusalem don't stay in your pride don't stay there he's just a couple miles away listen if I said you I've got a brand new car for you out in the parking lot you guys would run out of here in a second to find it right don't stay in Jerusalem let me pray for you father God we thank you for this encouraging word and this example that we see in the wise men. And I pray for our hearts today. Every single one of us, we struggle with this kingship issue. We do. And Father God, I, real, I, I pray that we would relinquish our lives to you knowing that you're not a God who is a dictator and wants to harm us and hurt us. But God, you're a God that wants to save us and give us our life back and restore us from all the brokenness that sin has left behind. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take that step of obedience to come to you, whether it's meeting you, Jesus, for the first time and saying, Jesus, I give my life to you, whether someone's watching online or someone's here within the church, God, I pray that they would just bow their hearts towards you or maybe we've been following you, you, Jesus but there's some things in our lives that we've been holding on to or maybe our priorities are a little out of whack because we were looking for these things to give us peace and comfort and they're letting us down. Lord, I pray that we would bow before your kingship and lay those things at your feet and put you in the right place in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. We thank you, God, for coming to earth to meet us and to come right into our filth and our messiness. To change us, you did not expect us to do all the changing and then try to get up to heaven because we would be instant failures if that was the case. God, you did everything for us to provide that Savior for us. But Lord, we have to come to you just like the wise men did, just like the shepherds did. But when they saw Jesus, everything changed and they walked away with joy. Lord, I pray you would change us here today as we bow to the kingship of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Can we say amen? Amen.